I'm Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, and it's time to get wealthy. You're going to learn exactly what you need to know and do to finally achieve the level of financial success you desire and you deserve. So let me ask you a question. What is your inheritance? Did your family create a financial legacy for you? Well, that's exactly what our topic is about today, legacy wealth. And here's what I want you to know about legacy wealth or what they don't want you to know about legacy wealth. And that is that wealth building is not taught through your formal education. The truth is that the knowledge of how to build wealth is inherited through a family advisor or someone in your family. And you must also understand that the knowledge of how to build wealth is the most valuable asset of all. And that's why I'm excited to have a conversation today about this topic of legacy wealth. Our guest was someone who got exposed to what it meant to create a financial legacy at a very early age. And I'm excited to introduce her to all of you today. So let's invite Kim Nixon on to Get Wealthy. Kim, really excited to have you today. Thank you so much for having me, Deborah. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you. Well, what I'm, why I'm really excited to talk to you today is we've had many conversations about this topic. And I think as it relates to creating legacy wealth, just share with our audience a little bit about yourself and what legacy wealth really means to you. Yes. Deborah, you know me over many years of working together. And for me, wealth building, specifically in the Black community, is about making sure that we have assets that can last beyond our lifetime. And so much of that is actually beyond the physical asset or the financial asset that you're passing down. So much of that is about knowledge, the way that you just mentioned. Uh, and one of the things that we see very often um, is that once an asset is passed on to a child, if that child has not been raised to value that asset or to understand how to continue to care for it, uh, that can lead to either the loss of that asset or increased liabilities. And specifically, I'm talking about real estate. So as you know, I grew up in a house with a father that's a contractor. My mom is a nurse. And um, we did not, we did not have any money. We did not come from money. But my parents instilled in my sister and myself two really important values. The first of which was you can find a way and, um, and a work ethic that is unparalleled, frankly. Uh, sometimes I think it's a little too strong and I need to learn how to how to scale it back a bit, but you can make anything happen. And I watched them do it. I watched them work more than two jobs at a time, sometimes um, all with that dream of that American dream of, of buying their first home. And uh, that home was not in great repair. And my dad put the time in and he put a hammer in my hand at a very early age didn't have any little boys and so he just made me his apprentice and uh, and so we got to work on that on that first property and then my parents were um, 
able to kind of rinse and repeat and, and do that again. And, um, and through that effort, I learned a lot about, number one, the value of the asset that, that they were leaning into and that they were investing in. I learned the value of sweat equity and, and what it really meant to, to be able to use your two hands to get yourself beyond where you are today. Uh, and I also learned how you go about creating pockets of opportunity in order to, and, and sometimes that opportunity does mean more work, in order to get yourself to the point where you can make that investment and you can move yourself beyond the point where you are today to where you are tomorrow. And I want to stop and say really quickly, I am, I completely understand that there are lots of barriers and challenges up against us all. And this is not an easy process. This is not something that happens overnight, but it is a process that if you continue to work on it, you teach yourself, you teach your children what it looks like to make step change. And that is as important as the asset that you're passing on. That's wealth building to me. Absolutely. And the truth is that when it comes to legacy wealth, only 25% of Black Americans even get inherited wealth. And what Kim and what we're going to have a conversation about today is really what that means and how even though it can put you in uh, a you know less advantaged position, the whole process and the whole conversation today is really about what you can do. You know, it's just so interesting, Kim. Uh, you alluded to the fact that we've known each other for several years and how we met really was at that time, you were in this significant position at Under Armour, but in spite of that, you invited me in to talk with your colleagues about wealth building because that was really, really important to you. And so my question to you really is, especially as it relates to you being exposed to parents who had these values and, and were really building a legacy for their family, why was it important for you to also bring other people on along the way? This is my favorite topic. <laughs> so my parents, and I, I would say my family in general, have uh, really strong values around community and family and the importance of family. I was raised, yes, by my mom and my dad, but when they were out doing those two to three jobs, trying to make sure that they had the security they needed to get to that first property, that meant I had several aunties and uncles and cousins that were pitching in to, to make sure that you know we were all able to, to complete the, the tasks that we needed to complete to get along uh, and, to, and to move towards that wealth building. So all of this happened within a community. None of this happens in a vacuum or in a bubble. My sister and I were in rigorous scholarship programs. So we were going to school. We were going to our regular school, and then we were going to an additional academy um, on Wednesdays and Saturdays, and then all summer long, when at least when I was in the fifth grade and sixth grade. And that required my entire family. It, it required so many people to, to really get us there. And so the idea of community has always been central to wealth building for me, and it's true of many communities. If you if you look at a lot of different ethnic communities, uh, wealth is built through uh, communal uh, communal accumulation of dollars and use of dollars. And that'll happen to buy Dunkin' Donuts, to buy gas stations, to buy businesses that are then managed and, and owned and managed by a family. And very often the only way that, that that Dunkin' Donuts or that gas station or what you have you will be profitable 
is because they have the labor pretty much covered through uh, family costs and family coverage in terms of time. And so for us, my family's Caribbean, and a lot of what that looks like is um, something we call partner money, some people call SUSU, and uh, you can call it a zero interest loan, you can call it you know, um, an early advance if you want, but it's really kind of like a, a communal pot of money that is then put together by about 20 people or so that is then distributed um, out every week or every two weeks uh, based on based on need or based on where you stand in the schedule. And just this idea of community and this being a way that people are able to pay their bills, be able to put their kids through college, able to, um, you know, kind of get ahead, pay for vacation, whatever the case may be. It was it was a way that the community all surrounded each other to make sure that we were good. And this idea of we were good has stuck with me forever. So to your point, uh, when I was at Under Armour, we were building the Black Employee Network called Beat, and uh, one of the first things I wanted to do was figure out, like, are y'all good? Like, and I don't mean from a work perspective, but you know, financially, like, are we good? Like, we work at this place, you know, at the at the time, Under Armour was was doing great. Um, we worked in a city in a secondary market, so it wasn't the most expensive market to live in. And I wanted to make sure people had the tools that they needed. These were all, there were a lot of young black professionals at Under Armour and still are. And I wanted to make sure people had the tools that they were able to have the conversation. I wanted to make sure money wasn't taboo in, in my communities and in, in my, uh, my groups of friends. Money is not taboo. It is something that we can talk about freely. And that is something else that really needs to happen in order for us to understand and be able to go to each other and say, hey, how'd you do that thing? How'd you get that mark off your credit score? How did you buy that property? How did you, you know, uh, find that daycare for your child? And so all of these things are to be shared. The more that we can learn to share them and to trust each other and, and, and even approach each other with compassion instead of competition, that's where, that's where a lot of real information and opportunity for legacy and wealth building begins. Well, you know, you just validated the first point that I made around what they don't know, want you to know about legacy wealth. And that really is that it is inherited, right? Like a close family member, a family advisor, someone really has to kind of show you the way because you don't learn it in your formal education. And certainly this is true of you. When we met, you had already built, because of your parents, a pretty significant real estate investment portfolio, and you were investing in that secondary market that you now lived in. And yet, you reached out for me to, to wealthy you for more knowledge around expanding that, your, your own competency around uh, investing. And so when we come back, what I want, want to ask you about is really why you felt the need to do that. So I want to just talk about, uh, you just talked really eloquently around the power of community and how in so many communities we aren't getting access to that information. And so that's how we met with you inviting me to Under Armour. I want to talk to you about what's next for you. So don't go anywhere, folks. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit with Kimberly about how making all of these decisions 
and really having the benefit of that knowledge of how to create legacy wealth has informed her as she moves beyond, you know, and, and further in her career. So don't co go anywhere, folks. We'll be right back. Let's be honest, as successful women, we're crushing it. Maxed out 401k and Roth IRA? Check. Aggressive savings and investments? Check. Yet, the freedom our success was supposed to buy can leave us stuck on the six-figure hamster wheel, watching retirement slip further down the road. There's another way. Get coaching courses and community at WealthyU.com. Welcome back everyone. I'm Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach. And this has been a fascinating conversation with Kimberly Nixon, a real estate investor, investing in stock and, and you know, branching out into other things. And Kimberly, that's what I want to talk a little with you uh, about with you now. So you went on in your career, uh, you left, uh, under Armour, you've been in some other roles. Talk to us a little bit about how accruing this level of building wealth, right, has now influenced new things, if you will, that you've decided to do. Yeah, so my once I left Under Armour, I went to a PE-backed, a private equity-backed company, and uh, I will never forget, I was sitting in a boardroom I was sitting in a board meeting with with the, the members from that private equity firm. And I had just moved back to the States from Panama. We lived in Panama for a little while. And I was explaining to them how much I loved Panama and wanted to make it part of my retirement plan by buying a farm or something. I was making I was making light of the situation, but uh but there's there's some arbitrary rule about buying a farm and um and citizenship in Panama. And so I was making light of that, of that situation. And uh, the gentleman to the left of me said, yeah, I love Panama. We just sold our property there because we weren't getting down there enough and so on and so forth. And I just, you know, I looked at that dynamic. I'm, I'm in this room to present my budget for the year and talk through my plans for revenue and what have you. And, and this gentleman is here to, approve that budget and my revenue plan. And also um, I'm making a joke about retirement and he's got my whole retirement already. He had it and sold it. And, and I, I will never forget. I went home that night and I told my husband, I'm on the wrong side of the table. <laughs> Just, I'm doing this wrong. I'm hustling backwards. And, um, and so I had a new goal. And so I had to figure out what it was going to look like for me to get, we just talked about investing in public markets, to get into private markets. So uh, I, I left that role and went to a venture-backed company a couple of years later, very similarly, uh, early stage, but you know, very similarly, um, the folks that I was in a boardroom, I was still on the operator side of the table. And again, I'm looking at the other side of the table. And this time I was smart enough to tell them when I joined, I'm trying to get to your side of the table. So I'm joining because I want to get to your side of the table. 
and um, they were incredibly gracious and 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 open and allowed me to you know kind of follow along the process of um, of of what it looks like to be in venture and venture capital. And you know I was responsible for a lot of fundraising for our our actual company. And um, and so when I left at the end of 2020. I started to do some consulting and advisory work. I had enough freedom to decide that I didn't want to go back to a full-time job because I needed the time to figure out how I was going to break into venture. And so I advised um, a handful of startups. I consulted for a couple of larger brands. And then at the beginning of 2022, launched my venture capital firm and fund called Open Venture Capital. and very similarly, it's a small fund, it's a $10 million fund, but I started at the $10 million number because you can have more investors, more seats within a smaller fund, and I'm trying to get as many women and women of color on my cap table, and I'm trying to get as many women and women of color to get invested, and again, I'm, I'm a very, very zero-pressure individual because I'm not in a position where I need you to do these things. I would love for you to do these things. I want you to uh, come to meetings, to listen to me speak, to hear me pitch, to ask questions. And if you choose not to invest, that's completely, completely up to you. But you will be so much better off for the time spent. And Deborah, as you know, I've done this on the real estate side. When I've invested in other real estate developers, I have invited groups of women to just sit and on a Zoom call with me and that developer to just listen to the types of questions I ask, to ask their own questions, to get more familiar with the project, to see how I think about risk. And this is what I'm talking about, about just making the space. I'm just trying to make space where space has never been made. I mean, especially in private markets, in private funds, there's so much, there's a lot of opacity in terms of what is happening. Whose money is this? Where is it getting raised? Who, where is it going? And because we're so busy head down at work, trying to make sure that we you know, can put food on the table, not having enough freedom to get out of situations that are dead end for us, we can't pick our heads up long enough to think about something as opaque and far away and mysterious as venture capital. And so my goal is to to make that less mysterious. There's there's nothing mysterious about it. It's it's taking a sum of money, it's putting it with a fund manager, it's making sure that that fund manager knows what they're doing, and you should ask that fund manager, do you know what you're doing? And uh, and you can look for track record, you can look for experience, you can look for- But it's the same um, thing. You know, what I want our audience to understand is that that is what wealth is, it's a framework right? It's not the product, it's the process. And so what you're really, just looking at your journey from real estate investor to learning how to invest and build a portfolio, and now venture capital, that's yeah. what makes it so possible. So Kim, I just want to really, really thank you for sharing your legacy wealth, uh, sharing in this legacy wealth conversation and being so transparent about it. But clearly, you're not finished yet. I'm not That's done the yet. Exciting part. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. So thanks so much, Kimberly Nixon, for showing us how to get wealthy and the journey to creating legacy wealth. And so when we come back, well, no, I, I just want to go over 
Now it's time for analyze, optimize, maximize. So if you think about Kim's journey, what you see that it really all came down to her having the ability to analyze. And through that, she used a framework, whether it was investing in real estate and being able to apply a similar framework to investing in stocks and now venture capital. And in terms of her strategy, is at every step understanding that when she needed to know more because she wanted to diversify or do more, actually putting herself in a position and asking for some help from someone who already had that expertise and then maximizing, understanding that her real motivation really was to get to that financial independence number so that she would have the freedom to take rent risk and venture out, venture out into new opportunities. And so when we come back, I just want to share with you the three things that I takeaways that I want you to have from today's show on Legacy What. Let's be honest, as successful women, we're crushing it. Maxed out 401k and Roth IRA, check. Aggressive savings and investments, check. Yet, the freedom our success was supposed to buy can leave us stuck on the six-figure hamster wheel, watching retirement slip further down the road. There's another way. Get coaching courses and community at WealthyU.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation around legacy wealth. And it really is what you need to know in order to create a financial legacy or generational wealth. And so here are your three takeaways from today. First, as you can see, legacy wealth creates confidence. We certainly saw that in uh, Kimberly's journey to wealth. And the truth is that this knowledge uh, is transferable. Her parents were able to transfer that knowledge to her. And she, like so many other women, are want to see other women, black women succeed. And so she's transferring those skills to other. And then finally, that the goal is generational wealth because that is true freedom. Thanks so much for joining us on Get Wealthy. I'm Deborah, uh, I'm Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach. I can't wait for you to join us on another episode of Get Wealthy.